Hello. Hi. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And I'm Brittany. <gasps> She's back, you guys! And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist! Back, back, back again! <laughs> you like me! You really like me! Aww. Yeah! Yeah, so if you're like, who's that lady? Fake fan. She was our first <laughs> ghost host. Um, well, I was down in North Carolina. She filled in. She brought us some Pittsburgh nonsense, non- yeah. nonsense knowledge, and we are in agreement that Harrisburg is central Pennsylvania. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. For the record. Yes. Yeah. So we're, this episode, three best friends that are talking about things that are mysterious, kooky, unknown, unsolved, etc. A little bit weird. Yeah. Just vibes are off. Yeah, vibes are questionable. Yeah. These vibes are questionable to me. <laughs> is this, is this, is this sanitary? <laughs> so, yeah, we're here. I hope you have a good time listening to us. If you want to catch up on past episodes, such as Brittany's episode, you can go to our website, thispodcastdoesn'texist.com. Dot com. Listen to that. And you can find our social medias there. You can write into us there. You can leave us a review. You can do all the things. It's a great place, a one stop shop, if you will. Anything else, Emma? Love it. Hit the good buttons. All the subscribe, all of the likes, all of the shares, all of the write ins. Go ahead and let us know how we're doing, how you doing, all the good stuff. I thought you were just going to be like, love it. End of statement. Oh. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Lo- love it. Well, and one other button that you can find on the website is the bingo card. Bingo. And I honestly, I would recommend <gasps> perhaps playing it today. Oh, can I pull it? Can I pull it out? Yeah, you should. Let's go. I don't have my phone on me. You can, we can play together. You okay. can yeah. we'll play on the same Teamwork. Yeah. Makes a dream work. There we go. Hey, yo. I have the bingo. We have uh, the middle one. And I think honestly... That's it, because we haven't we haven't gotten into anything. We just yet. started. We just started. So what what are we what are we getting into today? Well, when you listen to this, if you listen to this on the day that it comes out, I want to wish a very happy birthday to the one and only Adore Delano, <gasps> drag queen extraordinaire and certified beautiful woman. Hashtag Azizabetch. Party. Happy birthday. Party. And I love them. Just because she deserves it. She does, um, but not because we're talking about her today. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> put that out there. Um, Has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Not at all. We are talking about another gorgeous, sometimes blonde icon, however. Oh. It's time to queue up the mid-2000s television darling Smash, because today we're talking about Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> I loved Smash. Ooh. Of course. It's superior to Glee in every possible way. Well, musical yeah. reference, but yay. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Okay, wait. So, like, her whole shebang? Mostly talking about her death. I mean, it's me, so I give you a bunch of background. And we kind of hit, like, the depressing highlights. Great. There um, are positive highlights, but I don't have time to tell all of them to great. you. Marilyn Monroe was my final paper for my English degree in undergrad, so oh. I'm very excited for no today. No pressure. I, how much do I remember? It's a great question. We'll find out. Alrighty, so a bit of background for you. In case you were unaware, Marilyn Monroe was an actress, model, and singer. 
She's American. Uh, she was known for playing comic blonde bombshell characters and became one of the most popular sex symbols of the 1950s and early 60s, as well as an emblem of the era's sexual revolution. Good for her. She was a top-billed actress for a decade, and her films grossed $200 million, which is about $2 billion in 2022 Oy. by the time of her death. So the famous blonde was born Norma Jean Mortensen in L.A. on June 1st, 1926. Her mother, Gladys Pearl Baker, faced challenges in her life before Marilyn's birth. Her first marriage was at the age of 15 to an abusive man with whom she had two children. She was able eventually to divorce him, but he kidnapped the children and took them back to his home state of Kentucky. Marilyn didn't know that she had siblings until she was 12 years old. Whoa. And she didn't meet her sister until Marilyn was 17. Oh. And I believe her brother, half-brother, died young, so she didn't get to meet him. Gladys worked as a film negative cutter and married again, though it was short-lived. In 2022, DNA testing indicated that Monroe's father was Charles Stanley Gifford, a co-worker of Gladys, with whom she had an affair in 1925. So, like, her mom had a rough time, married young. Her dad is not in, Marilyn Monroe's dad is not in the picture because it was some side fling thing. In January 1934, Gladys had a a mental breakdown and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. After several months in a rest home, she was committed to the Metropolitan State Hospital. She spent the rest of her life in and out of hospitals and was rarely in contact with Marilyn. So Marilyn became a ward of the state. One of the only family possessions to stay with her was a second-hand baby grand piano, which once sat in Gladys's home, that had the name Frederick March, one of Hollywood's most famous actors in the 1930s and 40s, inscribed on it. After Monroe's Hollywood career launched, she found that old piano in an auction room, painted it white, and kept it with her for the rest of her life. And then I wrote, cue secondhand white baby grand. <laughs> that was the first that I had was like that song popped back up yeah. into my head. Oh, I listened to like the cast recording and it's also linked in the show notes if you want to. Um, for those of you who are not musical theater children, uh, Smash was a two season television show. It didn't last. It, um, so it should have lasted about a creative team writing and trying to put on a Broadway musical about the life of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, There are these two actresses that are kind of vying for the the role of Marilyn. It's great. Tons of great original music. Um, Great, great stars too, like Broadway Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Megan Hilty, Catherine McPhee before she was Trampy and Weird. Um, Angelica Houston, wasn't she Angelica Houston. Deborah Messing. Deborah Messing. Christian Borle. The guy that played Captain Norrington. He was the director, wasn't he? (laughs) Did you not realize this? Shannon's holding the wall. (laughs) In my defense, he's not wearing a fluffy white wig in Smash. Yeah, he's not wearing a fluffy white wig in, like, two and three either, but... Yeah, but he has long hair still. Okay, fair. It, he's in period costume as well. It's different yeah, a vibe. Hard. It's a little hard you know to... What and is? he's a gentleman he's in Pirates also, of the Caribbean. He is. He's a real shop. dick in Smash. He's he's also in The Wedding Date with Deborah Messing. He's Hold it. He's, he's Amy Adams' fiancé yes. in... <laughs> look at her face right now. 
<laughs> he's Amy Adams' fiance in the wedding date. And so I think because I was obsessed with the wedding date for a while, I like I, can pull as him. As you should be. Exactly. I can pull him out of like period pieces. <laughs> well done. In any case, great show. Yes, amazing. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so there's a song that they write called Secondhand White Baby Grand. And uh, anyway, if you want to listen to the cast recording of the fictional musical, I linked it in the show notes. Also, watch Smash. It's really good. And if you liked Glee, you'll like this even better. Because adults. <laughs> Highly recommend. Check it out. If you want some lightheartedness in the midst of uh, what's to come. Uh, so Marilyn Monroe spent most of her childhood in a total of 12 foster homes and an orphanage before marrying 21-year-old James Doherty at age 16 to avoid returning to an orphanage. Basically, like, she had been with a foster family, but then, like, her foster dad got a job out of the country yeah. or, like, out of the state, so he legally could not bring her along. And, uh... So instead of going back to the orphanage, she got married. She drops out of high school to become a housewife, uh, which she later describes herself as, quote, dying of boredom. Very fair. Yeah. Re yeah. Fair. Relatable. She was working in a factory during World War II while her husband was deployed to the South Pacific when she met a photographer from the first motion picture unit and began a successful pinup modeling career, which led to, to short-lived film contracts with 20th Century Fox and Columbia Pictures. Her husband apparently didn't want her to do that, but... Very was, much not. He was in the South Pacific two, for two years. And She's she like, was like, you're not I'm here. bored. <laughs> you're not here. I'm working on missiles. Like, yeah. to, I'm cleaning things. I can't. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. It, it very much reminds me of Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Like, this is just Evelyn's first husband. Mm. Oh, yeah. Very fair. I still haven't mm -hmm. read that. I, <gasps> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. It's on the list. <laughs> you should see the stack next to my bed. After a series of minor film roles, she signed a new contract with Fox in late 1950. Again, like I said, this is very, I cherry-picked the traumatic bits. So a lot more was happening in her career and her life and things, but here we go. Over the next two years, she became a popular actress with roles in several comedies, including As Young As You Feel and Monkey Business, and in the dramas Clash By Night and Don't Bother To Knock. She faced a scandal when it was revealed that she had posed for nude photographs prior to becoming a star, but the story did not damage her career and instead resulted in increased interest in her films. Makes sense. Because sex sells. And she's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, her position as a leading sex symbol was confirmed in December of 1953 when douchebag Hugh Hefner featured her on the cover and as the centerfold in the first issue of Playboy without Marilyn's consent. Ridiculous. Uh, the 1950s of it all. Yeah. And that's the last time we're going to mention him because he does not deserve to be mentioned in relation to Marilyn ever again. Other crappy men will c crop up, but... yeah. It is an example, though, of, of like, you know, how they, they'll be like, oh, person A and person B were alive during the same time. Mm -hmm. Hugh Hefner didn't die all that long ago, you guys. Like, I, d but like, Marilyn in my head, he's always just been an old man, so it shouldn't be surprising to me that he was alive at the time of Marilyn, but I like, because she seems so young, and like, you mostly see her in like, black and white photos in film, it's like, weird to be like, that man had a show on the E! Network, mm -hmm. and he... 
what uh, what what decade are we in? What's happening? Yeah, like Marilyn would be in her what nineties now if she she survived. She was born the same year as Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, so she'd be if she was still alive, she would be in her nineties. Yeah, I think Queen Elizabeth was only like two months older, three months older. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen twenty-six, baby. Monroe had become one of 20th Century Fox's biggest stars, but her contract had not changed since 1950. She was paid far less than other stars of her stature and did not get to choose her own projects. And she really wanted to do some more serious stuff. Um, You know, she was seen as this, like, dumb blonde and, like, I'm so... So goofy. Yeah. And the studio wasn't really interested in letting her do real drama, In January 1954, the studio head suspended Monroe when she refused to begin shooting yet another musical comedy, this one titled The Girl in Pink Tights. What a title. Yep. Uh, This was front page news, and Monroe immediately took action to counter negative publicity. Taylor Swift would be proud. On January 14th, she and Joe DiMaggio were married at the San Francisco City Hall. Her marriage to the baseball player, however would only last nine months. In September of that year, she began filming Billy Wilder's comedy, The Seven-Year Itch. And if you have any picture of Marilyn Monroe, it probably comes from this movie. Um, Although the film was shot in Hollywood, the studio decided to generate advanced publicity by staging the filming of a scene in which Monroe is standing on a subway grate with the air blowing up the skirt of her white dress on Lexington Avenue in the middle of Manhattan. Uh, The shoot lasted for several hours and attracted nearly 2,000 spectators. This is one of her most famous scenes, and the film was very successful, one of the biggest films of 1955. Just a tidbit about this movie. Um, It's about a man who has been pining for a woman who doesn't even have a name in the movie. Mm. Marilyn's character does not have a name and he, she is a literal object in this movie. Granted, it's a very well shot movie. I will not comment on its writing. <laughs> but just in, if you feel the need to put yourself in that vibe, or if you at the very least want to see her do an incredible job of performance, feel free to go and watch it, obviously. But just a tidbit, which just makes me itchy. Haha. <laughs> Thank you, film bro, Emma. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. This is is my my undergrad coming out. We love. This publicity stunt placed her on the international front pages, and it also marked the end of her marriage to DiMaggio, who really um, didn't care for it. There's also a song about that in the fictional musical. He was jealous, controlling, and physically abusive during their short marriage, to which I wrote, hashtag, boy, bye. (laughs) Except not, because in 1955, Marilyn moved to New York City to study at the Actors Studio, and she continued her relationship with DiMaggio despite the ongoing divorce process. She also dated actor Marlon Brando and the playwright Arthur Miller. She had first been introduced to Miller by Elia Kazan in the early 1950s. The affair between Monroe and Miller became increasingly serious after October 1955 when her divorce was finalized and he separated from his wife. 
The studio advised her to break things off with the playwright due to his questionable, in the eyes of some, political leanings. The writer of The Crucible was being investigated by the FBI for allegations of communism and had been subpoenaed by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Again, I'm a McCarthy, but not like that. Yeah, McCarthyism, not so great. No. In this context. No. Joseph McCarthy. <laughs> Shannon McCarthy. Yeah. Two thumbs up. He was threatened with jail time for refusing to name other suspected communists. It was during his interrogation by the HUAC in 1956 that he announced his intent to marry Marilyn Monroe. I'm like, hopefully you talk to her first about yeah, it. Yeah, I really hope so. During the hearing, Monroe was supportive of Miller's moral imperative to not name names, telling reporters that she was, quote, really confident that in the end, my husband will win the case. Yeah, they got married. I don't think I wrote that in, but they got married. <laughs> Later on, one of the investigators told Arthur Miller that he'd end the inquiry if he, if the politician, could take a photograph with the playwright's famous wife. Ew. 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 Quote, I burst out laughing, Miller remembered in his memoir. Why I was not even tempted, I don't know. It certainly would have saved a lot of grief. Miller was found guilty of contempt of Congress, denied a passport, and sentenced to a month in jail or a $500 fine. He successfully appealed the decision and avoided jail time. Ew. Also, I'm glad he didn't say yes to it. And... I mean, he had his own reasons, obviously, of, like, I didn't really think about it, but don't offer up (laughs) that from your famous wife without asking her. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. It's it's giving Chuck and Blair. She doesn't. I've never seen Gossip Girl. Do you you get the reference? I mean, I know who they are. I just... Oh. There's an episode where Chuck basically quote-unquote like sells blair to his uncle for a night so he can get his hotel back oh ew gross Uh, yeah chuck everybody i mean chuck bass chuck bass Bass, thank you (sighs) chuck bass oh boy all right sounds like a fish yeah i mean obviously i'm gonna read you a big old long quote from teen vogue In 2012, the FBI updated previously heavily redacted files on Monroe, exposing how closely the Bureau had monitored her life. The documents are filled with the names and testimony that tie Monroe to alleged Communist Party members and fellow travelers, or people who were very involved and supportive of the party. There was particular concern over Monroe's relationship with Frederick Vanderbilt Field, a disinherited member of the wealthy Vanderbilt family who lived in exile in Mexico and was considered a Communist Party member at large. Side note, her friends and her therapist were very concerned about her having a relationship with this man. Continuing with the quote. There was also mention of an unnamed life photographer and Communist Party member who took Monroe on a tour of Brooklyn, an anonymous call to a reporter at the New York Daily News that Marilyn Monroe Productions was filled with communists and the company's money was going to the party. Informants described her views, which she voiced at a group dinner that included President John F. Kennedy as, quote, positively and concisely leftist. 
And so it goes, for 85 pages, the detailed surveillance of America's biggest star, unquote. Just, uh, it, it makes sense that they're paying that close attention to her at this point in time because of Arthur Miller's, like, stuff. But it's scary to think about them having that much information on a person. Yeah. One entry, which previously had been almost completely redacted, concerned intelligence that Monroe and other entertainers sought visas to visit Russia. In 1956, the actress legally changed her name to Marilyn Monroe, told the studio to stick it, and married for a third time. On June 29, 1956, aha, Monroe and Miller were married at the Westchester County Court in White Plains, New York. Two days later, they had a Jewish ceremony at the home of Kay Brown, Miller's literary agent in New York. With the marriage, Monroe converted to Judaism, which led Egypt to ban all of her films. Which is just so funny. But, yeah, politics. Yeah. Due to Monroe's status as a sex symbol and Miller's image as an intellectual, the media saw the union as a mismatch, as evidenced by Variety's headline, quote, Egghead weds hourglass. Okay, that's kind of funny though. <laughs> like that's pretty that's pretty clever wordsmithing. Yeah. Not nice, but clever. Yeah. As her career continued, Marilyn began to depend more and more on pharmaceuticals and alcohol, which could be related to the miscarriage she reportedly experienced. She had an ectopic pregnancy in mid-1957 and a miscarriage a year later. These problems were most likely linked to her endometriosis. Monroe was also briefly hospitalized due to a barbiturate overdose. The last film Monroe completed was The Misfits, Mm. which Miller had written to provide her with a dramatic role. The filming, between July and November 1960, it was, a, it was a rough time. Monroe and Miller's marriage was effectively over, and he began a new relationship with Magnum movie photographer Inga Morath. Monroe disliked that he had based her role partly on her real life and thought it was inferior to the male roles in the film. She was also struggling with Miller's habit of rewriting scenes the night before filming. Her health was also failing. She was in pain from gallstones been there and her drug addiction was so severe that her makeup usually had to be applied while she was still asleep under the influence of barbiturates have not been there in august filming was halted for her to spend a week in a hospital detox monroe and miller separated after filming wrapped and she obtained a mexican divorce in january 1961 and a mexican divorce is just a divorce you get in mexico yeah i thought it was like I don't slang, know. It sounds like a something. slang term for yeah. something like, oh, get, yeah, get yeah. yourself a Mexican divorce. Yeah. But no, it's just easier <laughs> down there. <laughs> Instead of working, she spent the first six months of 1961 preoccupied with health problems. She underwent gallbladder removal surgery and had surgery for her endometriosis and spent four weeks hospitalized for depression. She was helped surprisingly, by Joe DiMaggio, with whom she had rekindled a friendship and dated his friend Frank Sinatra for several months. That year, she also moved permanently back to California. In the spring of 1962, she caught sinusitis? Sinusitis? Sinusitis. 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 Uh, (laughs) 
not Brittany leaning over for the bingo card, looking for the mispronunciation. Um, She was too sick to work for most of the next six weeks. But despite confirmations by multiple doctors, the studio pressured her by alleging publicly that she was faking it. I love when my boss is like, you're not actually sick. You're not sick. You're fine. And we're going to tell everyone that you're being a weenie. On May 19th, she rallied to sing an iconic performance of Happy Birthday on stage at President JFK's early birthday celebration at Madison Square Garden in New York. She was wearing the dress that we recently all rediscovered because Kim Kardashian insisted on wearing it on the red carpet. And broke the seams with her butt. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not bitter. Uh, and then I'm just going to read you some stuff from Wikipedia. Ding! Monroe next filmed a scene for Something's Got to Give in which she swam naked in a swimming pool. To generate advanced publicity, the press was invited to take photographs. These were later published in Life. This was the first time that a major star had posed nude at the height of their career. When she was again on sick leave for several days... Fox, the studio, decided that it could not afford to have another film running behind schedule when it was already struggling with the rising costs of Cleopatra. On June 7th, Fox fired Monroe and sued her for $750,000 in damages. Ew. She was replaced by Lee Remick, but after Dean Martin, the co-star of the film, refused to make the film with anyone other than Marilyn, Fox sued him as well and shut down the production. Oh, you go, Dean. He was a real one. The studio blamed Monroe for the film's demise and began spreading negative publicity about her, even alleging that she was mentally disturbed. This forced Marilyn into damage control, like PR mode. Um, She was staging photos and talking to the press. But unfortunately, the public opinion wouldn't ultimately matter. On the evening of August 4th, 1962, Marilyn Monroe died at age 36 inside her home in Brentwood, Los Angeles, California. Her body was discovered before dawn the following morning on August 5th. And this is like the story the public received. Yeah. The prosecutor's office found that Monroe's death from, quote, acute barbiturate poisoning could have been an overdose or accidental, but that... The barbiturates had had time to disperse into her blood and liver, explaining why medical professionals found no residue in her stomach. Because initially people were like, well, how could she die of this overdose if you didn't find a trace of it in her stomach? But I was like, no, it it got absorbed. She spent the last day of her life at her Brentwood home. In the morning, she met photographer Lawrence Schiller to discuss the possibility of Playboy publishing nude photos taken of her on the set of Something's Got to Give. So at least they're talking to her this time. She also received a massage from her personal massage therapist, talked with friends on the phone, and signed for deliveries. Just a normal a, day. A day in life. Also present at the house that morning were her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, and her publicist, Patricia Newcomb, who had stayed overnight. At 4.30 p.m., Monroe's psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson, arrived at the house to conduct a therapy session and asked Patricia to leave. Before he left around 7 p.m., he asked the housekeeper to stay overnight and keep Marilyn company. 
At approximately 7 or 7.15, Monroe received a call from Joe DiMaggio Jr., with whom she had stayed close since her divorce from his father, the elder Joe DiMaggio. The younger DiMaggio told Monroe he had broken up with a girlfriend she did not like, and he detected nothing alarming in her behavior, in Monroe's behavior. At around 7.40, 7.45, Monroe telephoned um, her psychiatrist to tell him the news about the breakup of DiMaggio and his girlfriend. A little odd. Codependent. Yeah, a codependent. (laughs) Who among us hasn't texted our therapist? With some, I text my memes, Juicy honestly. <laughs> it's either emails or like screenshots of emails from people who have wronged me. Um, <laughs> I just really like from people who have wronged me. And she turns to move on. <laughs> There's a list. Monroe retired to her bedroom at approximately 8 p.m. She received a call from actor Peter Lawford brother-in-law of President Kennedy, who was hoping to persuade her to attend his party that night. Lawford became alarmed because Monroe sounded like she was under the influence of drugs. She reportedly told him, quote, say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to the president, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy, before drifting off. Unable to reach her, Lawford called his agent, Milton Ebbins, who unsuccessfully tried to reach Greenson, the psychiatrist, and later called Monroe's lawyer, Milton A. Mickey Rudin. Rudin called Monroe's house and was assured by the housekeeper that the actress was fine. At approximately 3.30 a.m. on Sunday, August 5th, Murray, the housekeeper, woke up, quote, sensing that something was wrong and saw light from under Monroe's bedroom door, but she was unable to get a response and found the door locked. Murray telephoned Greenson, on whose advice she looked in through a window and saw Monroe lying face down on her bed, covered by a sheet and clutching a telephone receiver. Greenson arrived shortly thereafter. He entered the room by breaking a window and found that Marilyn was dead. He called her physician, who arrived at the house at around 3.50 a.m. and officially confirmed the death. At 425, they notified the LAPD, which I'm like, that's a, a gap. 30, 35 minutes. But did you make a cup of tea? Like what? Yeah, I don't know. What? The L.A. County coroner's office conducted Monroe's autopsy on the same day that she was found dead. Based on the advanced state of rigor mortis at the time her body was discovered, it was estimated that she had died between 830 and 1030 p.m. The findings of the inquest were published on August 17th. Chief Coroner Theodore Surfy classified Monroe's death as, quote, a probable suicide. The possibility of an accidental overdose was ruled out because the dosages found in her body were several times over the lethal limit and had been taken, quote, in one gulp or in a few gulps over a minute or so. At the time of her death, Monroe was reported to have been in a depressed mood and had seemed unkempt and uninterested in maintaining her appearance. No suicide note was found, but investigators stated that this was not unusual because statistics showed that less than 40% of suicide victims left notes. Marilyn had made some odd and alarming phone calls in the week leading up to her untimely death that seemed to support this picture of mental instability. Kenny Kingston, a California psychic she had consulted over the months, remembered Monroe talking moodily about love. Quote, love is the one immortal thing about us. Without it, what can life mean? 
out of the blue, she called a Hollywood gynecologist, Dr. Leon Cron, to ask him whether he was still angry with her. Years earlier, when she was pregnant, she had ignored Cron's advice to stay away from drugs and alcohol, then suffered a miscarriage. The doctor did not know that Marilyn had claimed to others weeks earlier that one of the Kennedy brothers had impregnated her. She had, she told them, quote, lost a baby. Sources differ on whether she had miscarried or had an illegal abortion. Wait, did you say one of the Kennedy brothers? Yeah. I didn't realize that she had, that she was involved with multiple Kennedys. Well, just you wait. Oh, boy. (laughs) Early in the week she was to die, Marilyn phoned her longtime friend, estate agent Arthur James, one of those she had told about the baby. What, she asked him, can I do about he? As James understood it, he was code for President Kennedy. She went on to complain that Robert Kennedy had cut, quote, cut her off cold. But it was the president she could not get out of her head. And the Vanity Fair article that's linked in the show notes really goes even further into depth of, like, literally every interaction she had in, like, the week leading up to her death. But those were the the main, like, odd ones. The highlights. Or significant ones. Okay. So before we jump into theories, do we have any thoughts? Would you like to go first? I mean, I don't know beyond Smash. I don't have, like, a lot of other knowledge about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So a lot of this is, like, things that I just, like, kind of knew or, like, gathered as, you know, being a human. Yeah. I don't know that I realized it was quite so sad. Yeah. It's super duper sad. I have two tidbits. One, The Misfits is an incredible movie. I highly recommend you see it. Hold on, guys. Film Pro Emma has dropped some tips. Hey, guys. Like, The Misfits is, like, one of those movies that's, like, I can't even do it. You mean it's a film? It's a film. No, it is actually a very good movie. But her performance in it is exceptional. It's also the last movie of John Wayne, I think. So Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Thank you. I was like, who? Who is in there? I was thinking he Western. died shortly after. It was like a week or so. Well. Yeah, yeah. Clark Gable in that. It's very good. But you mentioned that she was having issues with Arthur Miller rewriting scenes. Uh, he did it a lot. It was very annoying to everyone, including her. But she also had acting teachers, acting coaches. They were a husband and wife. I cannot remember their names, but uh, she was essentially dependent on them. And they kind of, within her acting career, gave her every, like, this is what you need to be doing. And she would only listen to them. Mm. And she consistently had issues with remembering her lines on every movie she was on, regardless of what they were. Um, So the Arthur Miller thing would be exceptionally frustrating. Right. But in Some Like It Hot, which is amazing movie, everyone should see that, but there were scenes where Tony Curtis couldn't deal with being in the same room as her because it would be like genuinely 50 takes before she would feel comfortable enough to Mm -hmm. say, yes, go ahead, print it. Um, And there's one scene where she enters their room 
and opens a drawer looking for a bottle of, of alcohol. And she opens the drawer. That scene had to be done over so many times. It took almost half a day to film that entire scene. And eventually they had to put her lines into the drawer so that she would know what they knew mm. what they were. And even then, multiple times, she'd be like, no, I have to do it again. No, I have to do it again. I have to do it mm. again. So that it was already an issue. And I can't imagine how frustrating it would have been both to know that your soon-to-be ex-husband is doing this and has based it on your life and is rewriting scenes and is dating another woman while you are around like crazy. My next tidbit, which is just kind of a little fun fact, Eli Wallach, who was also in The Misfits, he is the old man in The Holiday. Oh, He is incredible. He passed away a few years ago, but he was an incredible actor, long-standing character actor. She used to babysit his kids. They were really close. And in the doc, there's a documentary, there's multiple, but there was one documentary that I watched where he is interviewed and he's talking about her and he can't get through a good portion of it without crying because he and his wife were so close with her that when he heard that she had passed, he was like, I can't tell my kids. I can't. I'm so afraid of telling them that Aunt Marilyn has died. Like, I can't. I don't want to be the person to do that which is just so sad, but I love him <laughs> so much. He's so good in The Misfits, but obviously The Holiday, guys. It's so good. It's so good. If you haven't seen that movie, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? He is adorable and he makes me so happy. But they chose him on purpose because he was that longstanding kind of character yeah. actor. It's perfect for that role. So film bro Emma is gone. Uh, you Bye. can You can move on now. <laughs> Great. So, following Monroe's death, rumors almost immediately began to surface that foul play was involved, and those rumors have persisted in the decades since. In 1982, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office began looking into whether there was enough evidence to support opening a criminal investigation into her death, but did not find any credible evidence to support the idea that Monroe was murdered. Still, rumors and theories to this day suggest that Monroe's death was more than it seemed. So, theory one. She was killed by Robert Kennedy to cover up their affair and or her affair with President JFK. Because, breaking news, Brittany, she was also sleeping (laughs) with Robert Kennedy. (laughs) Supposedly. Allegedly. At the time of the actress's death, Robert Kennedy was serving as the U.S. Attorney General. As a married Catholic man with a wife and, at that time, seven children. So many kids. They went on to have three more. Who does he think he is? Captain Von Trapp? He's Catholic. He's Catholic Von Trapp. Ooh. Anyway. She good. She good. She good. So, right. He has a wife. He has seven kids. Uh, An affair with a notorious public figure would not have been a good look for him. Nope. First advanced, this theory was first advanced by right-wing crackpot Frank A. Capel in 1964 and states that Monroe was indeed sleeping with Robert Kennedy but got too attached and he had her murdered to protect his career. Ew. Capel also alleged that the Kennedys and other associates of Monroe were communists. Like, he's a, he was an anti-communist guy. So. Okay. Lots of salt. <laughs> Press reports and FBI documents show that Robert Kennedy flew to California that day. But she died. Oh. 
accompanied by his wife and four of their children. He arrived, it was reported, quote, without his usual flashing smile and shook hands woodenly with those who greeted him. New York Daily News columnist Floribel, what a great name. Oh, wow. Floribel Muir would later establish that Marilyn tried several times to call Kennedy at the hotel where he was due to stay and left messages. But the calls were not returned. According to biographer Donald Spotto, uh, Monroe and JFK met four times between October 1961 and August 1962. Their only sexual encounter is believed to have taken place two months before the concert, you know, the Mr. Happy Birthday, Mr. President, in a bedroom at Bing Cosby's house on March 24th, 1962, according to her massage therapist. I, I do love that, like... You kind of like we were talking about before of living in the world of like at the same time. Bing Crosby to me is fully like 1930s and 40s, mm. and she's in my head very clearly like late 50s, 60s. Obviously, they were alive at the same time, yeah. but <laughs> it's just very funny that I'm like, oh yeah, Bing, <laughs> Bing, that guy. I just think it's in- I think it's interesting that that in Smash. And, like, in popular culture in general, I feel like they tend to focus on this supposed affair with the president so intensely. Like, I'm not surprised that you were like, oh, what? She was sleeping with another. But it's like they had, from what it sounds like, a more thorough affair, her and Robert Kennedy. She met the president four times and they maybe hooked up once. And Because, like, one of the articles was stating, like, the reason people think they hooked up at Bing Crosby's party is because they called somebody from a phone in the bedroom. So they were like, why were you in a bedroom together? But that's also funny if the president, like, granted, we have no clue what happened. But I would love that in the middle of this party, the president was like, come with me. And she's like, okay. They go up to this bedroom. He goes, let's prank call somebody. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> let's go prank call. And she's like, okay. So, yeah. So that was our first theory. Similar, the second theory, that she was killed by Robert Kennedy for knowing too much. First advanced by rock journalist Anthony Scuduto. 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 <laughs> in his 1975 book, Who Killed Marilyn Monroe? The theory claims that Monroe kept a diary filled with incriminating information she had overheard from the Kennedys and that Robert Kennedy had her killed when he found out. In 1985, a woman claimed that her ex-husband, actor and former Kennedy brother-in-law, Peter Lawford, went to Monroe's house the night she died and destroyed a note that the distraught actress left before she died. But we don't know. They never found evidence of a note. And even, like, the prosecutors were like, even if there was a note and he took it, we don't really know if that's criminal or not. Like, yeah, what that is that then destruction of property or is that like, like breaking and entering of evidence? Yeah. Like, we don't know. The next theory is that she wasn't killed by Robert Kennedy, but that he staged her death as a suicide. Tabloid journalist Anthony Summers advanced this convoluted theory in his. 1985 book, Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe. Summers claimed first that after Robert Kennedy broke off their affair, Monroe threatened to go public. 
Supposedly, Kennedy and his then-brother-in-law, Peter Lawford, tried to prevent her from doing so by enabling her growing drug and alcohol addiction. Summers claims Monroe accidentally OD'd but died on the way to the hospital, so Lawford, Kennedy, and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover staged her death as a suicide. I... I don't know that I expected a Hoover. <laughs> well, he hates appearance. communists. True. He hates them. Yeah. That feels like a lot, though, bud. I just, I, I, I mean, I, obviously we have no clue. But Well, and also, wild. but like going back to the, the coroner's report, like she would not have been able to accidentally OD based on all those pills were taken in a handful of minutes. Mm. So it wasn't like, oh, I had one at 6 p.m. and then yeah. I had two at 10 and then I had three at 11. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Very, so, very intentional. Yeah. Uh, the next theory is that she was killed by the CIA oh. to hurt the Kennedys. Oh. To hurt them? Yes. In the book Victim, The Secret Tapes of Marilyn Monroe, Matthew Smith claims that the CIA knew Marilyn and Robert Kennedy were having an affair and killed her to get back at the Kennedy family for the Bay of Pigs invasion disaster. There's also a fear of leaked secrets when it comes to this particular theory, to which I wrote, nothing like nuclear codes for good pillow talk, am I right? (laughs) Hand me that nuclear football, will ya? Yeah. (laughs) This theory gained traction with Norman Mailer's 1973 biography of Monroe, but later that year, he publicly retracted the theory on 60 Minutes and stated that no evidence exists to support any theory that a government agency was involved in Monroe's death, which is exactly what someone who works for a government agency would say. Okay, wait, can I, I pause for a second. How many, how many theories do you have? Um, I've got three more. Okay, you've given us four so far, right? Uh, yeah. And all four of them involve the Kennedys so yeah. far. Maybe this is a spoiler. How many of these theories have a Kennedy involved in them? Only one more. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> okay, so again, similarly, the next theory is that she was killed by the mafia to hurt the Kennedys. The book Double Cross claims that Monroe was actually murdered on the orders of a Chicago mafia boss. According to the authors, she was killed to make Robert Kennedy back off his crusade against the mob. Because remember, he's the oh. the attorney general. So, oh. legal, prosecution, etc., etc. Um, a different book published in 1982 even tries to bring former pod subject union boss Jimmy Hoffa into Ooh. the mix. Hi, bud. Because, you know, he was all mixed up with the mob, too. Yeah. The next theory is that her death was a cover-up or involved a cover-up by her doctors. Donald Spotto claimed in his 1993 book, Marilyn Monroe, The Biography, that her death was an accidental overdose, which happened because Monroe lied to her two doctors about the amount of medication she'd been prescribed. Uh. Afraid of the possible consequences, the doctors staged Monroe's death as a suicide with the help of her housekeeper. Spato argued that Monroe could not have been suicidal because she was she had reached a new agreement with Fox with the studio, so she was going to resume filming even though they had fired her and like tried to sue her. Um, and apparently, allegedly, uh, she was going to remarry Joe DiMaggio. 
that was only in one source, so I don't know how accurate that is, and I maybe wouldn't recommend it for her, but it did seem like he maybe, like, got his ish together later in his life because, like, he was supporting her while she was having this challenging time, and he was also one of the people to pay for and put together her funeral. So, you know, doesn't excuse past behavior, but no one's inherently evil, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Okay, and then I have one final theory that I pretty much guarantee you didn't see coming. Uh-oh. Yay. Yay? I mean, I'm 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 hoping it's aliens, but in 2017, a documentary titled Unacknowledged alleged that Marilyn Monroe was murdered in order to cover up the existence of evidence of extraterrestrials. Called it. it. Called it. Called it. Didn't know anything about it, but called it. I'm so happy. And that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> that's it? That's all you have to that theory? Yeah. Yeah. It's one Who did it? article that, I don't know. I didn't have time to rent a documentary and watch it. <laughs> Apparently you can rent it. It's streaming some places for free. So you all have homework now. Okay, put that in the show notes, please, because that's my <laughs> next weekend's activities. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, um, go watch Smash and then watch Unacknowledged. <laughs> It has a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's not bad. Oh, that's pretty um, good. And, yeah, that's the the sad life and probably, you know, uneventful but tragic death of Marilyn Monroe. Aw. That was great. Thanks. Very well done. Strongly supported by Wikipedia. Hey, sometimes, you know, it's a great, it's a great place to, it's a great place to be. Gotta support them. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Love it. <laughs> uh, well, we didn't get bingo, but oh, that's are okay. we sure? Yes, because you got there's close. no there's no ghosts. No um, ghosts. So if we had, we probably would have been able to get uh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. at least one. But we had spies, we had kidnapping, we had random singing, we had a musical reference, college story, it's all there. So Fabulous. Thank you. Proof that you should play the bingo card once in a while. Guys, yeah. Maybe you'll get one. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get bingo. You're welcome. If you didn't catch random singing earlier or if you didn't have it on there, you're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Extra helping. <laughs> I'm very good at cheating. <laughs> when it comes she, to bingo, I cheat. She does do that. All the time. <laughs> she does. And I say it doesn't count. Uh, yeah. Any gram one. It's okay. The rules... They're important. Rules Rules are important. They are. Any final thoughts? Do we have a question or anything for the end of the episode? My question in terms of a little bit outside of, like, connected, but for everybody to answer eventually is if you had an era of, like, would you want, would you want to be in the golden age of Hollywood? Would you want to be in, like the early stages of Hollywood, would you want to be like what what era of Hollywood are we thinking? Would you like to be a part of? Oh. If you were if you were a performer, let's put it that way. Mm. I feel like being in like the talkies or not the talkies, like the silent the, films. The silent films would be hilarious because like they all had re- like really weird makeup because it was shot in black and white. So like your lipstick was blue and your you know, your eyeshadow was yellow or, like, whatever. Like, they must have looked wild. And then it's just all about, like, quirky faces, which 
if you know me. <laughs> I'm going to have a, lot of really, no, a no. really wrinkly forehead when no, I'm old. No, no. <laughs> what about you? Um, I don't... <laughs> As somebody who does a lot of tech and, like, has seen some behind-the-scenes stuff, like, even now, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm good. <laughs> Which era of Hollywood would you like to walk Not. around with a clipboard and a headset? And make actors cry in. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my brown bags in college. Um, uh, probably, like, in the talkies. Because you know what it is? is because they're repetitive, so it's just, like, the project manager in me is like, oh, like, okay. Rinse and repeat. Yeah, rinse and repeat. We're just going to do this one, like, over and over and over. And, like, I'm okay with that. I love a project that repeats, actually. So my answer, while the studio system at the time was absolutely wild and very immoral and not a great time, the the vibes are beautiful on the outside. So Emma doesn't care about the experience, just the aesthetic. <laughs> I mean, if I if I'm throwing myself into the experience, yeah. maybe I would care, but I don't know. I like the I like the movie musical. Oh yeah, like yeah. Era, that that gonna, era of Hollywood. You're gonna love Smash. I really am. I haven't seen it, you guys. You're gonna love it. I know. Don't look at me. <laughs> we'll add it to the watch list. Yeah. I feel like the first season was like it was real tight. So and like good. Perfect. And then I feel like they lost the bit a bit. No, it went for three seasons, I think. Also, I'm pretty sure they took the musical that they were writing in Smash. It's just and- two. It's two oh, seasons. Right. And okay. Jack Davenport is the name of the gentleman that plays all of those beautiful, Norrington beautiful and other people. Um, no, because it's because it, because it, eventually they have to cast one of the actresses as right. Marilyn. Right, right, right. Um, so the other actress goes off to be part of this like edgy sort of more mm-hmm. modern musical. Also, Jeremy Jordan's there. Ah, yeah, he's. Philip Sue was on the show. Oh, oh. I don't remember Who? that. There was somebody else too that played. Andy Mantez is on it. Uma, Uma Thurman. Uh-huh. Angelica Houston. Bernadette um, Peters, I think, showed up at some point. She I'm might sure. be. She, I think she's Ivy's mom, or she plays the mom in the musical. I don't know. Clearly, it's been a minute since I've watched it. But didn't they also take the musical from Smash and try to mount it on Broadway? Like in not real on life? Broadway, but they did us. They did a, a like a concert version. Oh, okay. That you can watch online. It's like yeah, two yeah. hours long. She's like deep in a Wikipedia like I'm scroll right now. So <laughs> All right, well we gotta go. <laughs> any th- any parting words? Party! Happy birthday! Party! Yeah. And until next time, remember this podcast doesn't, doesn't exist. Surround sound, baby. Ooh. The girls have eaten their Live dinners. from the basement. It's Sunday afternoon. Oh, you nerds. Okay. But we're your nerds. Yep. Don't you love us? I love you. We're on page 412. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. This episode was researched, co-produced, and marketed by Shannon McCarthy. Co-produced and edited by Emma Kiley. Our theme song was composed and performed by Tom Emsley-Smith. The mailbag theme music was composed by Liam Kiley.